Katie Books Productions presents Lenny Gray, an audio drama written, produced, and narrated by Earl Sewell. Previously on Lenny Gray. By the time Curly caught up with Lenny Gray, she was entering their shanty. Why did you hit me? Lenny Gray was angry and disgraced as she walked inside. I can't leave you for five minutes without you talking to some fool who's trying to take you away from me. Curly's voice exploded with fire and rage. The burning scent of moonshine permeated the air around them. Curly, the man was only telling me about what it was like living up north in Harlem, Lenny Gray said, making sure that Mary was comfortable and didn't need anything before she and Curly had it out. Lenny, is that the type of man you got eyes for? Somebody trying to act like he the boss man? I, I, I told you, Lenny, you belong to me, and if I can't have you, nobody will. I ain't going to no goddamn city, Lenny. Curly moved towards her, jaws tight and fists clenched. Nineteen twenty-six. Outside of the Bettis Plantation in Mississippi, there was a place called Harlem. A place that wasn't pressed down with so much oppression. A place where Negroes didn't spend endless hours toiling in the cotton fields with worn-out backs and souls full of hopelessness and suffering. In Harlem, it was a time of new beginnings, creative self-expression, civil rights demands, and social change. Langston Hughes, Gene Toomer, James Weldon Johnson, W.E.B. Du Bois, Duke Ellington, Zora Neale Hurston, Cab Calloway, Louis Armstrong, Dizzy Gillespie, Count Basie, and countless others were enjoying a lifestyle that the people on the Bettis Plantation could not imagine. They had not heard of films like The Flying Ace or Monsters, Machine Guns, The Numbers Game, or the Cotton Club. When they did hear about it, many, like Curly, called it a lie. His parents, Ida and Tom, said no such things were possible because white folks wouldn't allow the Negro to do anything better than field work and most believed them because they had not witnessed it with their own eyes. When Duke returned to Tallahatchie County after seven years for some down-home cooking and to heal up from a deep gash in his hand from a fist fight, he'd gotten into at a pool hall in Harlem. He was a welcome sight not only to his 78-year-old grandmother, who was now living alone since her granddaughter and great-grandchildren had moved up north, but to Tangie May, who had just turned 23, was single, 
and helping to take care of her. When Duke arrived and knocked on the door of his grandmother's dwelling, it was Tangy May who opened the door. She knew who he was because his grandmother, Lucy, had spoke of him often. Tangy May stood at the door drinking in his scent, admiring his pretty hair and a smile bright enough to give her a suntan. Are you just going to stand there and look at me? Or are you going to allow me to see my grandmother? Duke said, Oh, I I I'm so sorry. I just lo lost my hair for a minute. Tangy said, suddenly finding it necessary to try to fix her hair and make herself look decent enough to catch his attention. Tangy, who there at my door? Lucy's voice took up the space between Tangy and Duke. Um, I, I think it's Duke. You're right, he said. Tangy May stepped aside so that Duke could come in and greet his elderly grandmother. Feeling as if it would be an intrusion for her to stay any longer, Tangy decided to say goodbye. Oh, no, child, ain't no need of you rushing off. I want you to meet and get to know my grandson. Ma'am, I don't look decent at all. I've been out in the field all day and I only come by to make sure you were getting along okay with that bad leg of yours that keeps giving out on you, Tangy said, feeling self-conscious and trying to exit as hastily as possible. Besides, Miss Lenny will be coming along any minute now for me to walk down the road with her to the store. Ignoring Tangy, Lucy introduced them anyway. Duke found Tangy May interesting. It was her shyness and insecurity that caught his attention. To him, she wasn't like the showgirls he had been dealing with at the Cotton Club. He couldn't trust them or the men in New York who were quick to steal a girl away from a guy. And the girls oftentimes were quick to move on if the new guy had more resources or better social connections. Nice to meet you, Tangy. Duke extended his good hand. Tangy looked down at her hand, which was dirty from fieldwork and was too embarrassed to shake his. Mm, nice to meet you, she said, and hurriedly left. When she walked out onto the road, she saw John, the one-armed gravedigger, passing by on his wagon with a coffin on it. Who done died, John? John brought the wagon to a halt and said, Don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Mr. Bettis and the sheriff told me there was a Negro who hung and burned himself up and that I was to go and cut him down. I'm on my way there now. Sheriff said there would be an investigation. Tangy May felt her stomach slip. She was at a loss for words as she looked into John's brown eyes, which were a combination of darkness and red like coal from a fire. Well, I best be getting on, he said, and made a clicking sound with his tongue and cheek for the mule to move forward. When John pulled off, Lenny Gray was approaching. Tangy walked towards her. Did somebody pass away? Lenny Gray asked as she hugged Tangy and watched as John, the one-armed gravedigger, crested a small hill. Yeah, but he don't know who yet. John said he'll find whoever it was hanging from a tree. Lenny Gray sighed deeply, and like Tangy, she could not find the words to express all that she was feeling. 
She feared for her safety and that of the two additional children she had given birth to. She especially worried about Willie and Bud, who were six and seven years old. She tried to fight off the foreboding feelings she had in her gut, but it was too late. Tangie May made sure that she was at the service of Lucy and Duke. She also wanted to make sure that he kept his eyes on her, because all of the other single women on the plantation were eager to catch his eye, especially after Duke extended his stay. Over the next several weeks, Tangie May made it her business to make sure that Duke's attention stayed on her. However, Tangie got more than she bargained for when after dinner, one evening, Duke asked her if she would like to keep him company on the front porch. Sure, she said, trying hard not to giggle. I'll go get us some sweet tea. Duke smiled, grabbed his satchel, and walked through the front door. A short time later, Tangie joined him. She found him reading and felt awkward because she didn't want to disturb him. Do you know how to read, Tangie? Huh? Um, not real good. I ain't had much schooling, she answered, feeling uncomfortable and vulnerable. Well, Miss Tangie, I got this idea in my head that I want to run by you. What kind of idea? I want to teach you how to read. Feeling embarrassed, Tangie could only mutter the word, Huh? I don't mean to make you feel uncomfortable. If you don't want to learn, that's okay. No, I, um... Tangie May began to fiddle with her hair. Um, I want to learn, but I'm not sure I can. Sure you can, Tangie. Listen, I was born in New Jersey and graduated from high school. Even went to college for a period. I'm a musician by trade and a pool player out of necessity. But up in Harlem, folks read, and for those who can't, well... We like to help them out. So far, I've taught about 12 guys how to read, and I'm talking about men who didn't even know what alphabets were. Feeling stunned, Chandy didn't know what to say or how to respond. Let me put it to you like this. Me teaching you how to read will help me keep my mind off of my troubles, and it will allow us to spend some time together. Time together? Tangie whispered. Yeah, I'll be teaching you all sorts of things. Duke smiled at Tangie and she felt her stomach tingling on the inside. Okay, she whispered. Come over here. Let me show you what I'm reading. This here magazine is called The Crisis. He said as he turned the page and showed her the pictures and words inside of it. When Lenny Gray saw Tangie May again, an entire month had gone by. Tangie May showed up on her porch with a stack of magazines, a brain filled with new knowledge, and a new way of understanding the world, and she was eager to share it with Lenny Gray. Lenny, I know how to read, Tangie May said excitedly. Is that what that man has been teaching you how to do? I thought for sure you had come to tell me that you had a belly full. Laughing, Tangie May said, we taking our time with that sort of thing. I keep my skirt down 
and the only time that it's going up is when I get married. You mean to tell me he ain't tried nothing? He ain't tried to take it? Come on, Tangy. Ain't no man gonna spend all that time with a woman and not have relations. Lenny, why, I ain't never heard you speak this way before. Well, I do have a mind with some sense, you know, Lenny said, asserting her knowledge of about how men treat women. And I do believe that he done broke your leg, and that's the reason you come over here with a mouthful of stuff. Now, tell the truth, you let that sweet-smelling man with them pretty teeth and that good hair take your womanhood, didn't you? What you knew about how he smelled? Tangy got defensive. Never mind, Tangy, it ain't all that important. Yes, it is. I want to know how you come to find out how he smelled. You married, Lenny. You ain't supposed to be up on no other man. I ain't done no such a thing. We met in church a few years back is all. I just remember certain things about people. Lenny, you had feelings for him, didn't you? No, I didn't. Lenny Gray lied. Well, he smelled good as all, and, well, I ain't never been around a person who smells so good. I guess I started to feel some sort of way about it. Lenny Gray paused for a moment, and the silence that hung between them was thick enough to slice with a blade. Listen, Tangy, I'm sorry. I got a little jealous is all. I don't mean you no harm. What did you come to tell me about? Well, good, Lenny. I'm glad we ain't going to have no hot feelings between us. You are my best and only friend, and I would be heartbroken if you wasn't. Tangy May stepped forward and hugged Lenny Gray. I feel the same way too, Tangy. Sensing the tension between them had disappeared, Tangy once again got excited. Lenny, I want to teach you how to read. What? Tangy, I can't learn now. I'm too old. Lenny, you are only 26 years old. Yes, too old to be learning how to read. Just tell me what you and Duke been working on. Lenny, I thought I was too old to learn, but I ain't. I learned, Lenny, and you can too. You really think so, Tangy? A glimmer of hope formed in Lenny Gray's mind. Yes, this here's a magazine called the crisis. Tangy said slow and steady as she pointed to each word. Pointing to a picture, Lenny Gray said, What a pretty baby. Is those words about the baby? Yeah, kind of. Lenny, this issue of the magazine's a few years old. Duke then went back to New York, but he coming back in a few weeks. He said he would bring me the latest copy. Oh, Lenny, I tell you, I can't seem to get enough of learning. Duke said that I'm like a flower that only needed a little watering so that I could grow. These words and magazines are like water to me, Lenny. I see that. I think all you need is a little water, too. Tangy, you got me all excited now. What do them words here say? Okay, I'm going to read it nice and slow. This issue is from October of 1919. And it's called an opinion, and it's written by W.E.B. Du Bois. That means it's what a person think about something, like when I tell Curly what I think or, or or what I feel about things, 
and he gets all mad at me for thanking? Lenny Gray said, making the connection. You're a quick learner, just like me. Tangie May offered words of encouragement. Suddenly feeling good about herself, Lenny Gray smiled and said, What else do the words say? It says, There once was a man who said that if he owned Texas and hell, that he would rent out Texas and live in hell. Oh my goodness, Tangie. Why would someone say such a thing? Why would anyone want to live in hell? Lenny Gray asked, trying to understand what Tangie May had just read. Let me finish, and, and we'll see why. Tangie May kept reading. He may have exaggerated, but he has some supporting facts. Texas was settled by white Southerners in order to extend slavery territory. It was forcibly stolen from Mexico in 1837, largely because Mexico tried to abolish slavery in 1829. Texas became the center of the slave trade and the most shameful violations of the United States slave trade laws were perpetuated through Texas. During the years of Texan independence, slaves were rushed in at a rate of 15,000 or more a year, and the annexation of Texas and the Mexican War were movements to extend Negro slavery. Out of this past has written a present Texas. In that state, the first public burning alive of a Negro took place at Paris. Since 1889, Texas has launched 338 human beings, standing second only to Georgia and Mississippi. Why are they killing so many people? That don't seem right to me, asked Lenny Gray. It ain't Lenny. I mean, we know that white folks do color people wrong, but these people here like Du Bois, they is standing up to them by, by writing letters and, and letting folks know. Don't that make you feel good, knowing that there's somebody out there standing up? Don't you feel like standing up with them, Lenny? I know it make me feel that way. Yeah, it do, Tangie. Keep reading. When Duke returned, he bought more magazines and newspapers for Tangie May to read. He waited eagerly for Tangie May to stop over once she was done in the fields. When she arrived, he opened his arms and welcomed her into them. Tangie May was so overjoyed to see him that she began kissing all over his face. Slow down, girl, he said. Give a weary man a chance to get settled in. I'm just so happy to see you, Duke. Ah, what do you want me to cook for you? Whatever you want to, Tangie. Every time I eat your cooking, I push away from the table a satisfied man. You need to do right by this gal, said Lucy, who had managed to come into the room where they were. That's what I aim to do, said Duke. Tangie, I want you to come back to New York with me. I got a place. It's not all that big. 
but it can certainly use the touch of a woman. Before Tangy could say yes and ask Duke about marrying her, Lucy spoke again. Good. I'm glad you aim to take Tangy and settle down. She needs to leave away from around here. Since you've been gone, Tangy may have been reading to people. She got about 20 niggers. Bring candles and to meet her down by the river at night. Tangy done got beside herself and is filling their heads up with all sorts of foolishness. Now, Miss Lucy, I explained all that to you. I'm just teaching. I found something that opened my heart and spirit up. I feel like I'm worth something when I teach. Since your grandson that taught me how to read, I can't seem to stop. I want to share it with all the other people. Now, what's wrong with that? You see what I'm talking about, Duke? This girl is wrong. White folks ain't going to stand for this. I done heard about you talking back to Mr. Bettis down at the store. I heard about you standing up to him and talking about you having rights and stuff, Tangy. Is that true, Tangy? Yes, it is. I ain't the same person no more. I can't let him treat me. See what I mean, Duke? Miss Tangy done got beside herself and it ain't good. I'm going to head back to New York in a day or so. Do you think that's enough time for you to get your things together, Tangy? Yes. Tangy may hug Duke again. Let me go tell my daddy. Well, you can't do something like that alone. I'm coming with you, Tangy. Lenny Gray had just placed a tub filled with water in front of her rocking chair on the front porch of her shanty. She had placed it there so that Curly could take off his field boots and soak his feet, which always had a foul odor from his hard work. She made sure Curly was settled in because she had plans to head down to the river and meet Tangy May and the others to listen to her read stories about the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People and what they had been doing along with other stories that were in the magazine called The Crisis. As Lenny Gray wiped her hands on her apron, she thought about one of the stories Tangy May had read by a fella named Langston Hughes. She recalled what it had said inside of her mind. Well, son, I'll tell you. Life for me ain't been no crystal stair. It had tacks in it, and splinters, and boards torn up, and places with no carpet on the floor. Bare. But all the time, you see, I've been climbing on, reaching new landings and turning corners, and sometimes going in the dark where there ain't no light. So, boy, don't turn back now. Don't you sit on the steps because you finds it kind of hard. Don't you fall now, for I am still going, honey. I am still climbing, and life for me ain't been no crystal stair. Lenny Gray loved that story because it connected with how she felt about life, how it talked about things not being easy, but finding a way to keep moving on. They beat him to death! She heard a voice screaming from down the road. Before turning around to see who was screaming and carrying on, Lenny Gray already knew it was Tangy May. The shrill of her voice was so loud 
that Curly came from the back of their shanty to investigate what happened. Curly, help me, please, Curly. Help me, please. Please, Curly, help me. Tangy May screamed as she fell to the ground in front of their shanty. Lenny Gray looked down at the road and saw a car approaching fast. Tangy! Lenny Gray shouted before stepping off the front porch and rushing over to her. Lenny, what, what's wrong with that gal? Curly asked as he approached them. Lenny Gray helped Tangy May back to her feet. Her dress was ripped, her nose was bleeding, and her right eye was nearly shut. Lord have mercy! Did Duke do this to you? No, Lenny! Tangy May found it difficult to breathe and talk at the same time. They beat Duke! They beat him up real bad! Who, Tangy? Who beat up Duke? Before Tangy could answer, the black Ford Model T locked its tires and scrubbed across the dirt until it came to a halt. Mr. Bettis, the sheriff, and his friends Roy Bryant and J.W. Willem got out of the car. Lenny, turn that gal loose. She coming with us, said Mr. Bettis. What for? Tangy ain't done nothing. Can't you see that she she'd have been beat up? Lenny Gray found the strength and power in her voice that she had never known before. She held on to Tangy, who clung to her even tighter. Now, Lenny, you're blocking the law, said the sheriff, who had his nightstick firmly in his hand and ready for use. Curly, do something. I can't let them take Tangy. Lenny Gray goaded him, but Curly did nothing. He stood and looked at the ground, too afraid to say anything. Seeing that Curly was incapable or unwilling to get involved, Lenny Gray took it upon herself to continue to speak up. Mr. Bettis, what's this all about? Lenny Gray's quaking voice came from deep in her belly. It lacked power or authority, but she was brave enough to use the merciful voice that came forth. Go on back in there, Lenny. This ain't none of your business. Mr. Bettis pointed in the direction he wanted her to go. She's my cousin, sir. Whatever she done done, she didn't mean no harm. Lenny Gray kept talking and holding on to Tangy, who clawed at Lenny Gray's clothing. Lenny Gray hoped that she could somehow appeal to the better angels and the men. She was trying to think of something she could say that would make them back away. Well, hell, we should take her too. She ain't too bad looking, Roy Bryant suggested. Curly, I see you standing there, boy. You ain't got no better control over this here gal that you call a wife better than this. You better come and get her before Roy decides that he's gonna take her. If he gets a hold of her, he's gonna have a mighty good time and there ain't nothing the law can do because she's helping a fugitive. Timidly moving forward, Curly said, Yeah, 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 yes, yeah, yes, 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 please, don't let them take me. They done killed my daddy, Lenny, and it beat Duke really bad. Boys, go pull her away and put her in the car. Might as well take Lenny Gray, too. Roy Bryant and J.W. approached Lenny Gray and Tangy May. Curly stood still, clutching his fist while looking at the ground. Turn me loose! Lenny Gray said as she jerked away from the clutch of Roy. Finding courage from somewhere deep in itself, Curly rushed towards Roy and J.W. and stood in front of Lenny Gray and Tangy May. Nah, 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 what, what, what's, what's going on? Curly's stammer had returned. Mr. Bettis, please have mercy. Tangy ain't never done nothing wrong. Lenny Gray cried out from behind Curly. Curly, you imprudent idiot. You had better move. 
said Mr. Bettis, but Curly didn't. He stood his ground, which surprised and frightened Mr. Bettis. We, we, we done paid you real good for pr- pr- protection, Mr. Bettis. We, we don't want, want no trouble. Roy, J.W., and the sheriff all laughed at Curly. Boy, if you don't turn over Tangie and Lenny Gray, you won't have no protection at all, said the sheriff as he pulled out his revolver and aimed it at Curly. J.W., Mr. Bettis, and Roy Bryant did the same thing. Go get them gals, said the sheriff. Since Roy was the smaller of the two men, Curly tried to stop him first. The moment he reached for Roy, the sheriff fired his pistol and shot Curly through the center of his hand. Flesh and bone splashed on his face and his hand went limp. God damn it! Curly's one of my best cotton pickers, complained Mr. Bettis. Curly went down to his knees and covered his hand that had been shot. He cried out in agony in a voice that Lenny Gray had never heard before. The wail was loud and ear-splitting and came from deep in his soul. Lenny Gray glanced at Curly, who looked shrunken, just as Bud and Willie rushed over to him from behind the house, crying. A cotton picker with one hand ain't much use to me, said Mr. Bettis. Lenny, you fixed that boy's hand real good, you hear me? I'll have a doctor come around and look at it. I'll add the doctor bills to Curly's credit. Mr. Bettis irritably bawled at Lenny Gray. Roy and J.W. pried tangent me away from Lenny. With eyes liquid with faith, Lenny Gray said, Mr. Bettis, ain't we to suffered enough? Lenny Gray hoped her question would stop Roy and J.W. from dragging Tangent May, who was kicking violently and screaming loudly to the car. Lenny, we're just taking her for a ride is all. We got something we want her to read to us, said the sheriff laughing. He then looked over his shoulders and said, Can't you boys get that girl to get any quieter? Lenny Gray slowly lowered herself to her knees, threaded her fingers together, and dropped her head between their shoulders, and begged, Please, Mr. Bettis, in the name of the Lord, let Tangie May go. In that instance, Lenny Gray heard a bone-crushing thud, and Tangie May was silenced. Lenny Gray screamed out and rushed toward the car, but the sheriff clubbed her with his nightstick and knocked her unconscious. Then, it started raining. everybody. This is Earl Sewell, author, creator, and narrator of the podcast called Lenny Gray. I wanted to take a moment to come back and give you an update on the number of countries or people in countries around the world who are tuning into this podcast. I wanted to take a moment to thank each of you individually by calling out your country name. And here they are in no particular order. The U.S., Canada, Panama, Colombia, South America, Argentina, South America, 
Brazil, South America, Iceland, Spain, France, England, the Netherlands, Morocco, Italy, Greece, Hungary, Turkey, Iran, Russia, Bulgaria, Pakistan, the United Arab Emirates, Kenya, Zambia, South Africa, Nigeria, India, Thailand, Indonesia, the Philippines, Australia, New Zealand, Laos, Japan, and Sweden. Thank you all for tuning into the show. I hope that you're enjoying it. Also, you can help support the show by spreading the word about it. Please feel free to share this podcast with friends. Also, make sure to leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, from my mouth to your ears, happy listening. All the best, Earl Sewell.